So in essence, the walls of the traditional doctor's office is now dissolving. And there is no distance between the doctor and the patient with a virtual visit. In terms of what we're currently experiencing in medicine and what Teladoc is doing with some fantastic opportunities in terms of inpatient care, outpatient care, we're finding that adoption is happening and it's being widely accepted. Now that it's becoming a standard, that's a skill set that the doctors need to have moving forward. Welcome to This is Rural Health a podcast from the California State Rural Health Association. The CSRHA is focused on ensuring that the needs and voices of rural Californians are expressed and heard, and is continually working toward improving the quality and length of life of rural Californians. This podcast, like the CSRHA, brings together leaders in rural health care with policy advisors, community leaders, and other forward thinkers to gain a better understanding of what is happening across today's rural health ecosystem. You'll hear the unique perspectives of industry and community leaders and how they're finding innovative solutions to the challenges of a rapidly changing and increasingly complex healthcare industry. Hello, listeners. Welcome to This is Rural Health, the official podcast of CSRHA, the California State Rural Health Association. If this is your first time listening, we focus on wide-ranging topics that affect the health and well-being of individuals residing in rural communities of California. I'm Jeff Dunbar, CEO of an innovative telemedicine solutions company called Offsite Care. I'm a board member and this year's treasurer of the association. In this episode, I'll be speaking with an administrator and clinical leaders from Western University of Health Sciences, one of the largest medical schools in the U.S. We'll be discussing training the physicians of the future and how to tackle rural patient care and how telemedicine or telehealth or virtual care can be an effective tool to accomplish that. I think you'll find the insights fascinating on how the panel views the training needed and the knowledge base needed for training physicians in telemedicine compared to traditional on-site physician training. So once again, welcome to This is Rural Health. Today on our podcast, I have the pleasure of introducing our first guest, Di Lacey. She's Associate Vice President for Western University of Health Sciences in Oregon, and she brought with her clinical colleagues that we will introduce as well. Di, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? So I have spent 38 years in healthcare, and it was quite a pleasure at the end of my career in that legacy lap that we all take at the end to get to come over to the academic side. So having been a physician advocate for many years, working in a large system across hospitals, as we've seen healthcare change over the years, coming over to help build the physician of the future, because we all know that healthcare is going to change very rapidly, and especially post-COVID, it's changing at a very exponential rate. It has been just a wonderful place to land here at Western University of Health Sciences. Great. Thanks. Dr. Pecky, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your background and, and your role at Western, if you would, please. Jeff, thanks for uh, the invitation and glad to be here. And uh, started for me about uh, almost 40 years ago, coming into medical practice as a primary care physician and geriatrician in a uh, private practice setting, um, having taken some uh, initial training in rural health in my medical school years and postgraduate years and came mostly into a uh, suburban environment. Along the way, became involved in telecare and virtual care through digital health initiatives with uh, health systems. So uh, currently, I'm the director of academic innovation and telehealth. 
at Western University College of Osteopathic Medicine, and as well as uh, affiliated with the college in, in uh, Lebanon. Great, thanks. And Dr. Loveless, introduce yourself if you would, please. Hi, Jeff. I'm Brian Loveless. I'm an osteopathic physician. I graduated from Western University in 2002. I did a residency in family medicine. I later did a residency in osteopathic manipulative medicine. Currently, I'm in the OMM department here at Western U. Soon going to be transitioning over to chief medical officer of our Western U Health Clinic on campus. But I also am spending a lot of time this last couple of years as chair of the curriculum committee. So getting to work with, uh, as I mentioned, the rapidly changing landscape here, we rolled out a change to our curriculum, a complete overhaul of our curriculum several years ago. And so these last couple of years have just been trying to keep the momentum going. Uh, and of course, in the last year, all kinds of changes with COVID having to change on a dime. So that's been my last couple of years here. Fantastic. Dr. Kasaurus. Sure. I'm Mike Kitsaris, a board-certified internist and rheumatologist. I'm chair of internal medicine at Western U, and I had the good fortune of being able to train fellows and residents and students, of course, and it's been a wonderful experience. I'm also the vice chair of the curriculum committee as well. Fantastic. And Dr. Sanchez. Hi, I'm Dr. Hesu Sanchez. I go by Jesse. I am board certified in family medicine and also board certified in neuromusculoskeletal medicine. I've had the honor of uh, serving a uh, comp in a variety of different capacities. Most recently, uh, for the last five years, I've been spearheading the team that's led the curriculum overhaul, which has modernized our curriculum and has put us on the forefront in terms of clinical and preclinical education for our medical students. I'm currently serving in the capacity of assistant dean for the Office of Academic Affairs. Fabulous. All right. Well, we're just going to jump into a couple of questions here. I'll start off with you, Di. Can you tell us a little bit more about Western University, the, the makeup of the graduate programs that you offer and the student body, and what kind of physicians of the future you're looking to create? So Western University is rather unique. We have nine colleges. We're one of the most comprehensive health science universities in the United States. We have a, over 3,800 students under our wing at any time and over 20 degree programs. So those colleges include, and the programs include dental, nursing, physical therapy, occupational therapy, optometry, pharmacy, physician assistants, podiatry, vet med, osteopathic medicine, and 22 graduate medical science programs. So we're a little busy. Wow, that's very robust. And that makes you the fourth largest medical school in the country? One of the largest medical schools. So the College of Osteopathic Medicine has two campuses, one down in Pomona, which is our original founded 40 years ago, 1977 medical school that actually founded our co our university, that college. And then we have the one up on the north campus where I am located. And we founded that one in 2011. So we have students that are in rural Oregon, located miles off of Interstate 5 in Oregon. And then in the Pomona campus, of course, is in Pomona Valley, and that's east of LA. So very different environments for our medical students than I think in most medical schools. But it does lend well to the physicians that we're hoping to turn out over time. We're very excited. And it is different in that uh, the institution is not affiliated with a specific medical center, correct? Correct. So unlike allopathic medicine, which usually resides within an academic medical center, osteopathic medicine has a very different model, especially in our third and fourth years when the students go out in clinical rotations. So our students have the advantage of rotating across many different clinics 
hospital systems. And I am usually the one that gets an opportunity as they go out into that third year to remind them that this is the time when you don't have a team jersey on. You know, it it doesn't read any specific medical center. So you get to go out and look at different models of care, different payer systems, the way things are arranged right now, how it's changing. You get to talk to a lot of physician leaders. It's a really good opportunity. So the students travel out, great volume of area to actually complete those clinical rotations, but it does give them a depth and breadth to their education that is quite unique and will serve them well. So I imagine given the size of California and the nature of uh, the geography as well as Oregon, that they get to experience some rural health care. Absolutely. I'm not sure that you can be located on the West Coast and not bump into rural fairly quickly. At least my healthcare system was that I worked in previously was located on the West Coast and all healthcare systems seem to have a rural component. Rural has just become a great topic, I think, in healthcare right now, especially post-COVID, not only because of the reach out to those populations during the pandemic and how we're going to provide care. We think about that all the time. But as we start to look at our employment structure change post-COVID. So we really did prove for a year that many, many different sectors can work off-site. And those folks are looking at rural locations. I know in our rural location, we have a lot of folks that are asking about, you know, gee, now that I can work any place, gosh, could I move out there? And I think healthcare has got to pay attention to that. And we've got to be able to have physicians that really understand how that demographic is changing, where the world got really small, really quick with the pandemic, but it also opened up doors that previously weren't available. So I think healthcare, and when we talk about rural health, I think that that landscape is changing. It's kind of exciting. And with rural um, comes an opportunity to use a newly, newly embraced technology of telemedicine But I think what you focus on at the university is teaching the students the art of telemedicine and not necessarily the particular technology, because that can change year over year with the advent of different software solutions and advancement in technology. So what's really unique about that is that being part of the osteopathic culture So osteopathic medicine is really focused on whole person care. So all of medicine, of course, is focused on quality patient care, but allopathic tends to focus a little bit more on disease and allopathic tends to focus a little bit more on maintaining that status, whatever your level of wellness is. It's also a a culture of very high touch. So telemedicine was interesting. First started having conversations about incorporating telemedicine about two or three years ago, and there were some great conversations pre-COVID about telemedicine and how does that fit into an osteopathic culture. But what's emerged in this last year, strikingly with my colleagues that are on this call, just listening to how they're looking at teaching telemedicine with an osteopathic philosophy has been really interesting. So as you start to incorporate some of these questions, uh, they'll have really some good insight in that. Yeah, well, that's a great segue. Dr. Pecky, you know, how do you think that's uh, affected training physicians uh, of the future? And how does telemedicine play a role in that? Well, prior to the pandemic, the literature on, on this topic really anecdotally documented the effectiveness of appropriately used virtual care to bridge the quality chasm, if you will, inherent in many rural healthcare settings. The pandemic, of course, accelerated the the use of such tools, sometimes successfully, sometimes not as successfully as uh, one might otherwise hope. 
mm-hmm. uh, partially because of the uh, the role that many practitioners, especially those in uh, primary care settings, had not uh, previously been accustomed to filling, which was as a virtualist, uh, suddenly a virtualist role when uh, they had previously, for most of their careers, functioned in a in a clinic environment, you know, and so. That uh, was quite a challenge, I think, to the reaching the quadruple aim of optimized care platforms. The Institute for Healthcare Improvement, a few decades ago, really identified four components for optimized care, which really also apply to the uh, to virtual settings, which would be better care, uh, more accessible care, more affordable care, and also an optimized caregiving experience for the team that might be tasked with managing the care of an identified population. The pandemic really pushed pushed the needle forward to adoption prematurely in many settings, but at the same time, the silver lining has, I think, left a mark, particularly in in the practice of rural health care, that there are components that can facilitate the delivery of care, help uh, practitioners and their teams meet the uh, quadruple aim and have a sustainable model for delivery of rural health care. Dr. Katsouris, we've personally collaborated on um, some innovative telemedicine rotations in Idaho. Can you explain a little bit about that and how it's been received by your faculty and by the students? Yeah, it's been very exciting for faculty to experience this. And as was said, so much of education on our part has been training our students to be in person, if you will, with the patients. So this is a little bit different where they're, you know, hundreds of miles away from the patient. And what it really did was focus our students, our learners, on the art of history taking, which we know as physicians is the majority of how you develop an assessment and a differential. That's most of it. So it was really interesting talking with our first student that really launched into this in an ICU setting where patients are on ventilators, many of them being working with an interdisciplinary group of respiratory therapists and physical therapists and nurses, how would that come across? And he, particular student that did this rotation, was more than excited. And one thing that he recognized is how he had to be much more efficient, much more purposeful in the way he was asking questions of patients and of their families. Also, in interacting with the people in, with the people that, the team that was caring for the patient. So it really enlightened him as to how he's communicating just in everyday interactions and interactions with his patients in a traditional setting in a clinic. So it's something that we try to emphasize, but when you're doing telemedicine, it really stresses it. But yet, interestingly enough, the insight that he had was you can do a lot of this with a phone, but one thing is that your communication style has to be, be a little bit different on the video. And he observed how whoever's on the, the video, you have to be much more expressive in the way you're communicating to express that warmth. And he felt that it was just as effective, if not more effective than him being in the room, because he said, there's absolutely no distractions. It's just you and the patient. There's no other interactions going on. So he felt that it was something that was quite an enriching experience. And it's really fun to see that as an educator, to see the excitement in a student and to know that really this is something that's going to contribute to his educational experience in the future and contribute to the way he practices in the future. Telemedicine is here to stay. So many patients 
in COVID who experienced it for the first time and they don't want to go back. Why should I come into the office? And by the way, I'm not able to get into the office. Many of them are in rural areas or in Los Angeles area. We're serving a, a very underserved community in Pomona. Transportation is very difficult for them. So here we have an opportunity to actually, in effect, bring the clinic to them. And many of them do not want to go back. They'll say, look, doc, if I need to come in, just let me know. But so much of it we're finding, we don't need to. We can monitor how they're doing through uh, their history. Often they do have to get perhaps some blood work. And nowadays there's more emerging technologies that we can utilize as well in order to assess how they're doing. So it's an exciting time and it was fun to see the excitement and uh, imagination, if you will, that was sparked in our students and of our faculty. I think it's changing the way we're practicing, the way we're teaching. So it's been fun. Do you think the fact that the general population has embraced telemedicine, perhaps due to COVID, perhaps due to the fact that the software is ubiquitous and so is the internet, do you think that patients are going to be as satisfied seeing their physician remotely as they were having to come into the office? I think certainly in my population, it's funny because I'm a rheumatologist. So, so much of what we do is something where you need to examine the joints, but not in all cases. So it's interesting to hear my patients who, like I was saying before, they, they are more than pleased to be able to be at home and have that conversation. I think what it does is it really solidifies, it helps actually in a lot of ways, the relationship between the patient and the physician. It provides for more accessibility. I can have a much, much more efficient day utilizing telemedicine rather than the appointments that we traditionally have. And we don't have to necessarily do it at a certain set time. So there's a lot of flexibility involved in this. It allows a patient to feel like they're part of a health team, the physician and the patient. And that's a powerful thing, I think. Rather than the traditional, if you will, almost transactional relationship that sometimes occurs, where here's your appointment, I'm going to go see my physician. I get information, but I've got to wait a month or a couple months to see them again, particularly if it improves the frequency of that contact, which I think it does, I think all the better. We're not going to eliminate in-person visits, but I think it certainly adds to the patient experience. And I think patients are understanding that. And being a multidisciplinary telemedicine company, I've adopted the philosophy that there's an algorithm for telemedicine for every specialty. And so somewhere in that continuum of care, you can interject telemedicine to replace some piece that was done in person. Certainly not all of it, and some specialties less than others. Sure. I think that's paramount going forward, that everybody embraces that there's some piece of what you're doing today that can be done. And just like my company, we went virtual in June and realized, why did we ever have an office? It augments the experience, I think, more than anything. Yeah. And along those lines, Dr. Sanchez, I know you believe in telemedicine and that it'll be an important tool in the toolkit of our physicians of the future. So what do you think training for that will look like? Yes, Jeff. So in our current time frame, not only has society been met with a challenge uh, because of the pandemic, which has kind of turned things upside down, right? Not, not, you just mentioned a regular office, right? And not to mention access to care, but education was also turned upside down in many states where our students have had to move to online education. So when, when you're talking about all of these simultaneous shifts happening at the same time, 
what we're now finding is that this has been a convergence of opportunities that have created a moment of adoption. So when you asked Dr. Katsaros that question of what does this opportunity to have telehealth available to patients and would they be willing to use this? The answer to that is if you look around the entirety of our society here in the United States, people are working through Zoom. People have gotten accustomed to not going into the office. And and as was mentioned previously, our patients are now, not only are they gaining comfort with the technology, but they're now expecting the opportunity to continue to have access to medicine without going to the office. So in essence, the walls of the traditional doctor's office is now dissolving, and there is no distance between the doctor and the patient with a virtual visit. And I think to speak to that in terms of what we're currently experiencing in medicine and what Teladoc is doing with some fantastic opportunities in terms of inpatient care, outpatient care, we're finding that adoption is happening and it's being widely accepted. Not only that, it's becoming a standard moving forward. So when we're looking at this opportunity, we're thinking of our students who are graduates of our College of Osteopathic Medicine, and what will the real world be like for them? So yes, they will continue to train in hospitals, and they'll continue to train in residency programs. But the dimensions of what that training looks like is now shifted. There will be residency programs that have telehealth visits that are part of their normal everyday function. And as you said, maybe it's not the entirety of the visit, but most definitely follow-ups, most definitely uh, history-taking visits that can occur, and check-in visits, right? Follow-ups with the patients for a variety of different reasons. So we at Western University of Health Sciences are now looking at what does this opportunity mean for our students and how do we get them prepared to rise to that level, to be able to meet the technology on the other end of their training when they're ready to graduate, they're ready to enter the healthcare force. It's not just understanding the technology and how to work with the technology, but it's also how to use that technology to become a better physician to interact and engage with your patient in a meaningful way to create that rapport and that partnership that's going to enhance the patient care level, right? We're looking at clinical years of training where our students are actually rotating through these different sites. How do we gain opportunities for them to engage with telehealth, telemedicine, and develop those skill sets where they're actually applying those skills of history taking, history gathering, you know, professionalism, how to appropriately engage the patient and how to have appropriate follow-up in a telehealth, telemedicine visit. Working backwards from that point, because that's the point of transition into being a resident or an intern, right? So as a third and fourth year rotating student, they're learning this skill set. But it also goes back all the way to the first and second year. So we have to expose them to the technology sooner. And that would happen through opportunities such as standardized patients, right? Overlying all of that is the art of medicine. How does this make you a better doctor in the end? So we're thinking of the graduate student who goes on to their internship and residency and how to prepare them working from the end in mind and all the way to the beginning of medical school and what that means for their training process. Teach them not to uh, answer the call in their pajamas, right? Correct. Why don't you explain for our audience what the standardized patient is? Because I think that's so fascinating in the clinic. 
Yes. So a standardized patient encounter is where we have individuals that come in, they're very well trained on how to model a patient who presents with a particular set of complaints. So this is a very good training program that allows the students to come into a scenario where when they walk into the room, the actor is in the room and they act out the part of a patient presenting with those symptoms. And the student will go through the exercise of gaining their history, conducting a physical exam, and interacting with that model as if they are a real patient and going through the steps of how do they interview, how do they evaluate, examine their patient, and then how do they follow up with their assessment and plan. So that SP encounter, that SP environment is really a dynamic interaction between the skill set that the students are trying to apply, things that they've learned and the models that are actually going to interact with them and provide feedback on many different levels in terms of how the student performed. So we envision a scenario where SP encounters would be a prime opportunity to train our students using telehealth, whereas the SP, the standardized patient, would be on the other side of the camera and our students would be able to conduct a telehealth, telemedicine visit with them using the technology. Fabulous. Dr. Loveless, can you expand on that and how that role of telemedicine might play reaching patients in their home and how you train for that? Yeah, absolutely. And just as an aside, to go back to the question previous, there was a great Seinfeld episode where Kramer was training to be a standardized patient. If you guys, I don't know if that's a, if you guys have time to go back and take a look at classic episode, him and his friend are in acting school and they get a job as a standardized patient. It's pretty good. You know, it's interesting thinking about telemedicine in a, in a rural setting. And actually, as Di mentioned, our clinic environment, our location down here in Pomona, it's not rural, but it's a very similar set of challenges that patients face in terms of income, access to broadband, access to technology, those kind of elements that you're not going to see as much in a suburban area or in a different area. So I think that there's a couple of elements there. One is that in many ways, the telehealth visit can be extremely liberating. I think it was Mike said that there are no more walls around the doctor's office anymore. I mean, the patient can get a hold of you anytime they want. Maybe that's good or bad. We'll find out. But things about, oh, I couldn't get a ride. It was too far to drive. I didn't have this, you know, things don't matter anymore. So in those ways, I think telehealth and telemedicine is going to be key to improving rural healthcare. Assuming that we can tackle some of those technological challenges. When I was a hospice physician, we would send a nurse out with a machine. So it was the nurse going to the visit. And then I was at home interacting via technology, but the nurse had to be there to bring the machine with them and do the different steps. So maybe those are the kind of reassigning of duties that we're going to need if we're not going to have people in the, coming to the office. Maybe we need to send our office staff out to the patients. In terms of training, though, I think that what we're going to see is that our student providers are, you know, these are digital natives. They're all these things we talk about this excitement around, oh, look, we can do this. They're like, yeah, we've been doing that on TikTok for years. So I think that part of it is not going to be the difficult part. The knobology piece is not really the challenge. The challenge is one of the things that we find with many of our students is because they're so used to digital scenarios and they're used to a lot of online communication, they don't have a lot of great person-to-person skills. And as Mike mentioned, in these settings, that person-to-person skill is more important uh, even than in the office. In the office, you can hide behind your computer, hide behind a clipboard. You don't have to make eye contact. You can get away with things. But when it's just you and me on the phone call, you can't do that. So, you know, there's a lot of teaching around just those interpersonal skills. I think a big element that is also going to be beneficial in the rural setting is the notion of asynchronous telemedicine, 
right? And again, for our students coming up, I mean, they're all about instant, right? Instacart, Instagram, Snapchat, everything's quick. And so if I can just fire off a message to my doc, and I know that within the next working day, they're going to respond back. Those kind of interactions, I think, especially for younger patients, are going to be almost second nature. I mean, we're used to that on Instagram. I put up a post and then somebody comments and then later I comment back. And it's this asynchronous communication that is going to be very comfortable for them. The real challenge, I think, is less around teaching our students and our patients how to do it. It's around figuring out how we're going to get paid for those kind of interactions. We've seen the asynchronous for years already with dermatology, and it's been very successful. But yeah, hopefully, any thoughts on the legislation that has created waivers during COVID that may or may not stick after this last surge? It's hard to package an asynchronous interaction into a visit, right? Which is the way we categorize interactions right now. I'm billing for a certain code based on how much time we spend and these different elements. And I can't do that in an interaction that might have taken two or three days. So how do I do that? I think under our capitated systems, under our quality systems that we're rolling out slowly, especially in larger groups, there's an opportunity to show the value of those and to demonstrate value in that asynchronous care. I mean, if it takes me over the course of three days, 15 minutes of messaging compared to multiple visits in the office, I think that's a cost savings. That should be reflected in the type of care we're providing. Uh, Like bundled payments for whole patient care. Exactly. So the question is, are we going to have, are the legislators, are the regulators, are they savvy enough to recognize the value of that care? Uh, And that's on us then as the providers to to make the case for why that type of care is not only valuable from a cost savings perspective, but what about, what if I'm able to interact with that rural patient who's 40 miles away from my office and I'm lucky they can come in twice a year and now I'm able to do regular checkups with them. We've got some of this tech out there. We've got these wearable technologies. I had a patient just a few weeks ago message me. I'm having these palpitations. I said, next time you have them, use your Apple Watch, get an EKG and send it to me. She did. She wasn't having a knee arrhythmia at the time. So we set her up for an outpatient visit with the cardiologist rather than some type of emergent care that she would have wanted to seek if I wasn't able to make that interaction. So the argument for the value of telemedicine is there. I don't think it's a secret. It's just a matter of getting those folks that need to hear it to buy into it. Thank you for that. What a fabulous conversation. I could do this forever. Telemedicine is my life and helping folks in the rural parts of the state is of the utmost importance to me and the California State Rural Health Association. So getting the education out there is important. So thank you all very much for your participation. Any parting shots or comments? Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate the opportunity to share it. Yeah, I was going to say, if you give us the opportunity to talk, we may go on another hour, so we should probably (laughs) cut it off now. This is Rural Health, is the official podcast of the California State Rural Health Association and is made possible by the generosity of our members. Our producer is Noelia Sanchez at Noteworthy Lab. To learn more about the CSRHA or to become a member, visit us at csrha.org. If you have a suggestion for a future guest or topic for the show, email us at podcast at csrj.org. To make sure you don't miss any future episodes, please be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and to follow us on Twitter at CSRJ Podcast. Thank you so much for your continued support of the California State Rural Health Association. This is Rural Health. It's copyright 2021 by the California State Rural Health Association. To find out more about the CSRHA, visit us at csrha.org.